I want you to turn with me to Romans 8, 28 uh, this, this morning, Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 28. Probably one of the hardest things to, uh, for a pastor to do is preach um, during this time of year because the, uh, really there's a couple passages of Scripture that we go to, and um, uh, there's no new truth, you know, and, and you know, we go to this pa- these passages of Scripture, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter number 2, and we find the Christmas story. And um, we want our messages obviously to be fresh and exciting and something that you can learn about. We, um, and so uh, as you talk to many pastors, this is a difficult time um, just to put messages together. It's something you've not heard before, uh, something that'll help us. But I don't know if we always have to go and try to find something, sometimes just remembering uh, what the promises that God said and remembering that Jesus Christ came to this earth for one reason, and that was to redeem mankind uh, so that all mankind could be saved. And I don't think we should ever get tired of that story. Do you think? Uh, I, I think we ought to rejoice in that. And I appreciate just singing this morning about Jesus. He did come and he was born in a lowly manger, but he is going to reign forever. He is going, he is King of Kings and he is Lord of Lords. And that's the Jesus that we have come to worship this morning. He's the one that saved us. In Romans 8, 28, there's a passive scripture. And I, I've used uh, this verse often. Matter of fact, I refer to this verse uh, often when I'm counseling someone or uh, when uh, visiting someone that's sick or going through a, a, a trial. How many of you ever used Romans 8:28 for all things work together for what? For good. And we use this verse to encourage ourselves. And I believe that principle is, is there. All things do work together for good. Um, I was... Uh, I want you to pray, if you would, for Suzanne. Suzanne normally is here, and she does uh, the sign language and interprets for us. And she's back in the hospital. She has an obstruction in, in her bowel area, and um, that's that area is where the cancer started. And so uh, the doctors are just concerned about that. She's been in the hospital uh, a few days, and they believe she's going to be in there a few more days. And um, just just a, a difficult difficult time. And I. Uh, told her this as I visited her that uh, this verse, all things work together for good. But after I quoted this verse, she didn't get out of the hospital. She's still in pain. The doctors still aren't sure how to treat her. And if they have to do surgery, it might not be, uh, there might be some, some negative effects for the rest of her life due to this surgery that she might have to have. It's difficult to, when someone's in the trial of their life, uh, to really understand that all things work together for good. I use this verse, and this verse is really, really good for me to give to you when you're in a trial. It's really, really difficult for me to listen to when I'm in the trial. You ever been there? You know, I said to someone this morning, you know the difference between major surgery and minor surgery? Minor surgery, if it's, it's you, major if it's me, you know? This passage of scripture, we know all the good passages of scripture to give someone when they're struggling, but what do we feed from when we're struggling? This passage of scripture, all things work together for good. But my question to us today is this, but who decides what good is? Who decides what good is? Because good to me is this, everybody's healthy. Every bill is paid. There's no cancer. There's no sickness. There's no problems. Nobody's fussing and fighting with each other. Everybody's getting along. Uh, the house is warm and food's on the table. There's gas in the car and it starts when I go to start it. That sounds like a good life 
right? No fighting, the kids all get along. The kids all get straight A's on the report card. The in-laws don't stay the night when they come for Christmas, they go home, you know? I mean, all things work together for good. Everything I just said is good. And that's how we look at life is, is good is according to what I determine good is. Good is I wake up and I'm not tired and I wake up and, and I'm not hungry. I, I come to church and, and, and I enjoy the fellowship. No problems. Today, we're not looking for any problems. And if, if we get through today without any problems, you know what we say? Today was a good day. That word good isn't determined by you and I, it's determined by God. And that's what I wanna look at here today. And, and we're going to use the, the, the Christmas story, the birth of Christ to prove that all things work together for good, but who decides good? There are times in our lives that we use this to encourage others and we encourage them that this all is going to be okay. How many of you ever said that it's all good? It's gonna be fine but who's good? And we, we say, look at the Bible. It says right here that it's going to be good. But listen, sometimes when, when someone gets the word cancer, the cancer isn't healed in their body. And, and so did Romans 8.28, is it not true? There's going to be times that we go through trials and, and, and we're not always going to get along. There are going to be financial difficulties. There are going to be situations. There are going to be turmoil within families. And, and so is Romans 8.28 not true? And we know this, the Bible says all things work together for good. And so we know that the Bible says not some things, but all things. And it gives us, stipulations, obviously we know this for those that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose, but we know that all things work together for good. Now I want you to think about that verse and I want you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke chapter number two. And while you're turning there, if you'll find the book of Matthew, New Testament, first book of the New Testament is the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number one and Luke chapter number two. I love these stories, probably uh, you, our family, and you probably do the same. Before we, before we uh, open presents on Christmas morning, we, uh, as soon as our children are old enough to read, we, we, they all come down with their Bible. And, and uh, if they're old enough to read, they participate. So for the last year or so, uh, all of our uh, kids, our entire family will go through and read Luke chapter two. We'll start uh, with myself and then we'll go down to the youngest and we'll start over till we read the Christmas story. And it's a, it's a wonderful story. But as we look at this Christmas story, I want you to think about a few things. The Bible says in verse number one of chapter two of the book of Luke, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. What's so good about taxes? And I'm not being silly. This verse starts out with something that if you're honest, we don't like this. There went a decree from Caesar, from Rome, throughout all of the conquered Roman world that all the world is to be taxed. That means this, the government is going to take something from you that you worked hard for that you labored for. And now because one person says, I want money, all the world is going to be taxed. I would ask you this, what's so good about this tax station? 
because I'm sure the world wasn't excited that they had to pay Caesar a tax. I'm sure this didn't come at a convenient time. How many of you, you've ever had a convenient time to pay someone else your money? You couldn't, couldn't wait. In verse number one, the, we find the first thing that God is doing that depending on how you look at it is how you perceive good. And so here's a world tax. In verse number two, and the taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. In verse number three, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house in the lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. I want you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, if you would please. We also find Matthew, the author of uh, uh, the book of Matthew, the gospel account of Matthew. He writes this in verse number 18 of chapter number one. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Let me ask you this. What good can come out of a man and a woman espoused, not married yet, and she's with child? See, sometimes we read this passage of scripture and we understand the end of it because we find it in God's word. And we, we can read, okay, we know that this story is going to end up really, really good. And so as we read this, we, we sometimes forget to put ourselves in the same place as Mary, as Joseph. And if we could see the end of our story, like we see the end of Dave uh, or, or Joseph and Mary's story, we would see things differently as well. But for us, we see our story right now today as it's unfolding. And sometimes it doesn't look good. I want you to think about Joseph here. Joseph is the husband uh, to be uh, of Mary. And you, you know the story, Mary comes to Joseph and says, hey, Joseph, I'm, I've got something to tell you. Uh, uh, I'm not quite sure how you're going to take this and, and, and I'm, I'm gonna have a child. And, and we just can read past that because we know the end of the story. We know who the child is. We know it's conceived of the Holy Ghost. And so sometimes if we're not careful, we read the Bible without putting the emotion into it where imagine getting that news. Hey, Joseph, I, I know we've got all these things planned. Hey, Joseph, I know you love me. Hey, Joseph, I know you've been faithful to me. And Joseph, I want you to believe me. I've been faithful to you, but I'm gonna have a child. Imagine how this unfolds. I wonder, I wonder if Joseph thought in his heart all things work together for good. When Mary, the one that he wants to spend his entire life with, comes to him and says, I'm going to have a child. And Joseph knows I've never physically been with Mary. 
And his first response has to be the human response. This is not my child. But all things work together for good. And so we find in Luke chapter two, and I just wanna, I just wanna keep that thought on our heart and our mind today as we look at this Christmas story. All the world's going to be taxed. I wonder if Joseph thought at that time, all's going to be good. And I want you to think about this. There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. That, that decree goes out and Joseph is, the Bible tells us in Luke, uh, uh, the book of Luke, that he is going to go and, and, and travel to the, his homeland, his home city to pay taxes there. And Joseph, Mary is great with child. So Mary is ready to conceive this child. And so probably the last thing that Joseph is wanting to do is take any amount of money and give it to someone else because of child is coming into his home. And you, you know this, that, that it costs money and, and, and there's going to be a cost associated with having this child. There's going to be a cost associated with feeding this child. There's going to be a cost associated with raising this child. And, and if there was a time that Joseph didn't need to pay all these extra taxes, it probably was right now. And I can't read into scripture, and I don't want to do that this morning, but Joseph was human as well, just like you and I. And, and just think about a bill that comes up or, or some kind of financial strain that comes up. Have you ever, have you ever had a financial uh, situation come up and you said to yourself, or maybe you even said it out loud, I don't need this right now? Anybody? I don't need this right now. <laughs> The car needs to get fixed and, and the kids need braces and, 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 and the wife needs to keep her shopping addiction going. You know, I, I just don't need this right now. I wonder if Joseph said, I, I don't see the good in this. And so Joseph, I want you to see in verse number four of the book of Luke as well in chapter two, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, I want you to see something here. Not only did Joseph have to pay something, these taxes that he didn't need right now, it's not like Joseph just went down to the tax office in, in Nazareth and paid these taxes. You know what Joseph had to do? He had to leave Nazareth and travel down to Bethlehem. And, and this is so fresh on my mind because I traveled from Bethlehem. I did it the opposite way. I traveled from Bethlehem to Nazareth and I got to do it by way of a bus. And I'll be honest with you, on that bus, I, I get motion sickness and, and, and there were some not so pretty areas and there were some, some windy areas. And, and, and while we were traveling on that bus, I got motion sickness, I got sick. It made me think when I read this passage of scripture, what Joseph thought, I've got to pay this taxes and this isn't a good time for this because I have a child coming. And not only do I have to pay these taxes, I've got to leave Nazareth. I've got to travel from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem. Now, they didn't get on an airplane. They didn't get on a train. They didn't get into a car. They didn't get into a bus that had a, had a restroom on the bus. You know what they had to do? They had to walk. And this was a difficult walk. The region there wasn't just flat paved roads that were easy to travel on. There was a rough terrain. One of the things, one of the interesting things when we were in Israel, everywhere, Israel is just like just one big rock that's all broken up. There's rocks everywhere. And as you're walking, you're tripping over rocks. And I mean, everywhere there's rocks. 
And I think about this, 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 this time in Joseph's life. What good could come out of, number one, me having to pay this at the time that I don't need to pay this, and number two, now I've got to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and guess what else I have to do? I have to travel back. It's dangerous. It costs money to travel from one place to another place. It's not enough that I've got to pay these taxes to Caesar. Now I've got to put out a trip. Most of us don't plan a very long trip. Most of us would not plan a very dangerous or very costly trip when we knew we were going to have a child. Matter of fact, what happens? You hunker down, you, you start to nest, you start to get things ready. That's not the time where you plan something that's gonna cost you more. And so I wonder as Joseph is thinking about this, this time of Christ's birth, now I not only have to pay extra, it's gonna cost me to get there, it's time away from work, and there's nothing good in his mind, there's nothing profitable except Caesar is messing up my plans. But the Bible says that all things work together for good. I want you to see in verse number five, the Bible also says this, to be taxed with Mary as a spouse, wife, being great with child. Stay with me here, please listen to this. The situation for Joseph keeps getting worse. Do you ever feel in your life like it just seems like it just keeps piling on? If, if, if this burden that I'm carrying isn't enough, now something else is added. Do you ever get a, a, a letter saying that insurance goes up or rent goes up or mortgage goes up or this goes up or that goes up or car insurance goes up? And you think to yourself, how much more can I get? Can they get from me? Here, here's Joseph. It's not enough that he has to be taxed. It's not enough that he has to travel. You know what now he has to do? He has to travel with his wife that's great with child. I travel with my wife and I have the uh, Lord's blessed me with four wonderful girls. You've got to stop every 30 minutes when you're with your wife and four girls for restroom breaks when they're not great with child. Imagine riding on this journey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem and your wife's great with child. If she has to walk, it's going to be a slow walk. If she's going to travel on a, an animal, it's going to be a, a, a slow ride. Every bump and every, every, every uh, rock they go over, every time that wheel, if she's in a wagon, uh, uh, goes over a rough area, you could imagine Joseph saying, slow down, slow down. And, and when you're with a caravan of people, and that's how they traveled in those days for protection and for safety, that, that whole caravan would probably want to get there quickly, but here's a woman that's with child. And so there's some aggravation that's probably happening here in Joseph and Mary's life. And what is going to happen that's going to come out for good? It doesn't look good. The Bible says this, it goes from taxing to traveling to her being great with child. You know what happens in verse number six? And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Of course, I've got to pay Caesar. Of course, I've got to travel to do this. Of course, my wife is now great with child. At any moment, she's going to have a child. And guess what? While we're there, she has the baby. Doctors aren't there. 
And, and, and if that's not enough, I want you to see in verse number seven, and she was brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room for them in the end. If you look at these first seven verses of the Christmas story of the birth of Christ, it doesn't look real happy for Joseph and Mary. Let's just be honest. If Joseph could have read Romans 8, 28, I'm sure Joseph would say, nothing right now is happening for good. I don't see the purpose and the benefit of any of this. I don't see the benefit of paying taxes. I don't see the benefit of having to go down uh, to, uh, to Bethlehem and travel that great distance. I, I don't see the benefit of, of doing this while my wife is great with child. And then what happens? She has the baby while we're in Bethlehem. And not only does she have the baby, I'm trying to find her a room so she could be uh, warm and so she could have clean clothes so that she can have someone care for her. I, I, I don't want this child to be born in an area where he could be sick or my wife could be sick. And the only place for them is a place where the manger is because there's no room for them in the end. Let me ask you this question. Let's, let's be realistic. What good could come out of all of this? Do you think Joseph was saying to Mary, don't worry, all things work together for good, something's good. I'm sure at some point through this process, Joseph was probably a little bit discouraged and so was Mary. Have you ever been discouraged before? You're in good company. What good could come out of this? I want you to see with me, turn with me to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew in chapter number one, the other gospel, that tells us the Christmas story. Now the birth of Jesus in verse number 18 was, was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she, found, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. How many of you would say that's a great situation? That's exactly, I'm sure, how Joseph wanted to start his family. In verse number 19, then Joseph, her husband, being, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. I want you to see in verse number 19, you know what that is saying to this? Joseph is, is trying to determine the best way for Mary's sake to end this relationship. That's what he's doing. He, he doesn't want to make a public example of her. What could happen? In those days, she could be stoned. In those days, she could be put to death. Remember when Jesus came up and, and the, the Pharisees and the men of that city had stones in their hand and there was a woman that was caught in the act of adultery and they were getting ready to stone uh, and Jesus said, those that are without sin cast the first stone. And so in those days, a woman could be stoned, could be killed if she was caught in the act of adultery and Joseph knew this child was not his. And so the only human thinking would be this, my wife, the one that I loved, has been now caught in the act of adultery but all things work together for good. And there's sometimes in our life that not everything at that moment seems to be working together for good. Joseph now has to determine how he's gonna end this relationship. Now he's gonna to have to determine that this relationship where he once loved Mary, where he once dreamed about having Mary as his wife, now this is a failed relationship. How many of you have ever looked at a failed relationship and said, I'm glad this happened? You look at failed relationships and you say, how could I have prevented this? Failed re relationships bring discouragement and, and for some it brings shame. 
All that Joseph dreamed about in these, this verse here, he, what he's trying to do is get through those emotions and those, those, those wonderful dreams that he has and now filter through all the hurt. There's trust that's been broken. And if all we saw was this, our question would be this. What's so good about this? What good could come out of what we just read? What good could God use? And later on, Jesus is, is going to be born and, and Herod is going to, 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 to kill all the children two years and down. And, and so what Joseph has to do, Joseph has to leave his home once again and he and Jesus and Mary have to go down and move into Egypt, leave their country, leave their homeland. Why? Because God chose Joseph to be the father of Jesus. Because God chose Mary to birth his son. And hear me, please, understand this thought. I want to bring this together here. For all of our lives, all we know is what's happening at the moment. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't know what the end of our trial is going to bring. We don't know what the end of our life is going to bring. All we know is what's happening to us right now. I think about someone like a Suzanne Sears. All she knows is right now she's in a hospital bed. I think about those that we've, we've been at the bedside of others that are sick. I think about the Millers who, who hospice has come in to, to, to deal with Edmund. And, 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 and I think about others that are struggling in relationships and struggling in their marriage and struggling in their finances. I think about those that are, are, are struggling with their, with their job. I think about those right now that are struggling to pay their mortgage or, or struggling with some kind of sickness in their life. And we in our life is just like G Joseph and Mary. If all we had was just the first seven verses or the first few verses in the book of Matthew or the first seven verses in the book of Luke, and that's all we had, we would ask ourselves uh, about Joseph and Mary, just like sometimes we might ask ourselves, so what good can come out of this? God, you said that we know that all things work together for good, but what good could this? I want you to turn back with me to the book of Romans, if you would, please. Keep your place there. We may come back to this passage of Scripture, but the book of Romans, chapter number eight. And I want you to see the first three words of this Scripture. The Bible says, and we know. Sometimes as we say this verse, sometimes we leave those three, we say this, the Bible says that all things work together for good. How many of you ever quoted the verse? The Bible says that all things work together for good and you leave those first three words out, and we know. You know, what the Bible there is giving confidence. He's saying this, the child of God, those that have been saved, those that have trusted Christ as their savior, how do we know that? Those that love God and those that are called according to his purpose, those that know Christ as their savior, those that are a child of God. Paul is writing to the Christians here in Rome and he's saying this, that those of you that know Christ as your savior, those that are saved, you know something. And I want you to remember this. And sometimes when we're going through trials and when we're going through problems and we're going through circumstances, in their life, what we must do is we must remember what God's word says. I think it's good for us, it's healthy for us to constantly remind ourselves what scripture says. 
The Bible doesn't say, uh, simply say that all things work together. The Bible says, and we know. That's something you can have confidence in. Listen, I don't know what you're going through today. For some, I do. And for some, I know there's great trials and there's great burdens and, 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 and it looks difficult. And you think to yourself, in this situation, in this trial, in this sickness, in this financial issue, in this relationship issue, what possibly could come out good? I want you to know this and I want you to get in your mind that the Bible says, and we know, we can take confidence in the word of God. The word of God says that God is going to work it out for good. But who's good? I want you to understand this morning, God dictates good. I want you to write this in your, down in your heart, in your mind. Write it down on paper. Study this this week. Tell yourself this. Remind yourself this week. It's God that decides good, not me. My version of good and God's version of good are different, very different at times. Because my version of good is this, no problems, no trials, everything's great, everything's paid for, everybody's healthy, everybody gets along. That's what good looks like to me. But that's not always what good looks like to God. If you were to study through again and look through everything that Joseph and Mary is going through, the first part of their marriage, the first part of their relationship, all the things that are happening to them up until the time of Bethlehem, it doesn't look good. But who dictates good? I want you to write this down in your heart as well, if you would please. God's good is, God's good is better than our best. God's good is better than our best. If you sat and you described and you outlined and you put down on paper what your life is going to look like, what good looks like, the chances are it's gonna be very different than what God has planned for your life. When I was just a kid in elementary school, I, I remember this. I took a couple pieces of notebook paper my parents told me that they were going to start paying me an allowance of a dollar a week. That was big money. And so I thought, boy, that's $52 a year. Minus the times they didn't pay me. But that's a lot of money for an elementary kid. And so what I did is I wrote down, I had two pages full, notebook paper. Every line on that notebook paper was full of everything that I was going to buy. I had guinea pigs and dog and, I mean, I had whatever the, the game system was at that time. I, I had my life planned out of what I was going to buy. And I'll tell you, it was good until I realized that a dollar doesn't buy a whole lot. Till I realized that if, if I wanted to buy everything on that paper, it would probably take me the rest of my life to get enough money to buy everything on that paper and probably not be able to afford some of it. And I was really excited in the beginning. I mean, I was so excited. I had all this. I had, I had income coming in, you know, and, and I had what I wanted to buy. And, and, and I had this all planned out until, you know what I realized? my plan wasn't gonna work. There's been times in my life, I remember even as 
as a, a, a young man and in, 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 in meeting my wife and, and just like everyone else, you have thoughts and you have dreams and, and all these things that you want to accomplish in life. I had uh, my, well, probably about five or six years after we were married, maybe a little bit more than that, uh, probably six years or so, I had a, uh, a, a church in Hawaii contact me and ask me if I'd come preach. And they were going to pay everything. They were going to pay my airfare. They were going to pay me to stay there. And, and there were several churches and I was going to spend 10 days in Hawaii. And I was going to preach at five different churches. And so I said to my wife, guess what? We're going to Hawaii. She said, I knew I married the right guy. And we had, I think we had Jacob and maybe Kaylee at the time. And, and, um, and so I said, what I'll do is I'll get my mom to come and she'll, she'll watch Jacob and Kaylee. And we're going to spend 10 days in Hawaii. And she was all excited about it. I mean, it was a dream. It was on the second page, go to Hawaii, take your future wife. I mean, I had this for $52 a week. I was going to do this. <clears throat> the week before we left, we had the plane tickets all bought. We were looking on the on the internet, this is what it's going to look like. This is what we're going to do. We had it all planned out. And, and, and the week, this just a few days, the week before we left, my mom called and she said, I can't come and watch your kids. My dad is going to have open heart surgery and, and I need to be here for him. And I said, mom, grandpa can take care of himself. He doesn't need you there. I need my wife in Hawaii. I said, how am I going to tell Michelle? And I said, Michelle, my mom just called. She's not gonna be able to come. I, this might've been like three or four days before we were leaving. And there was no way to make other arrangements and other plans. And, and uh, I said, Michelle, you're not gonna be able to go. And she said, what, what do you mean? I'm not gonna be able to go. She says, you need to call those churches and let them know that you can't come. Your grandfather's had, I said, my mom can't come to watch the kids. I, I can't disappoint these churches. Big mistake, by the way. But I remember we had all these plans and then some circumstance destroyed our plans of what we thought was good. I could give you examples in my life and you could give me examples in yours of times that circumstances come. And if you only see, if you only see the circumstance it's difficult to see Romans 8.28. If you only see the bill that comes in, or if you only see the problem, it's difficult because what we say is this, this is not what good looks like. This is not what I had planned. This is not what I wanted my life to be. But we need to realize this, that God's good is better than our best. Not, not number three, I want you to write this down in your heart, if you would, please. Uh, God... God's uh, good is always, it's always centered on the gospel. Redemption for all mankind. Why was God messing up Joseph's life? Because he was going to send a savior. 
Why, why was God messing up Mary's life? I mean, they had it all planned out. They had it all together. And then what happens? Something comes along and it messes up what is good. The reason why is because God had a plan and God's plan always revolves around the gospel. In Romans 8, 28, I want you to see this. The Bible says this, and we know, what do we know? We know, we know that God is the decider of good. We know that good, God's good is better than our best. We know that God is always centered around the gospel. We know these things, and therefore all things work together for good to them that love God, and also to them who are called according to what? His purpose. See, what determines good in Romans 8, 28? What determines good in our life? What determines good for Mary and for Joseph in the Christmas story? What determines that is this, God's purpose for them. We've got to come to the place where we realize that what God is doing in our life, he's doing for the purpose of the gospel's sake. He's doing for the purpose of his plan, for his purpose. And if you were to study the Bible and read through the Bible, what is God's purpose for mankind? God's purpose for mankind is to redeem mankind back to him. Mankind sinned, and from that point, that fall that took place in the garden, God had a plan, and God put things in motion. And what did he put in motion? He put in motion all kinds of things. He put in motion uh, Abraham being called from Ur of Chaldees to a, a great and mighty uh, uh, place to have, a, have his a name through his children. And, and what was that for? Is that just so that God could give Abraham Israel? No, it's so that God could have a deliverer come so that mankind, could be redeemed and we see the life of Israel we find there's a little shepherd boy out there tending to his father's sheep and what's the purpose of messing with David's life if we just saw a portion of David's life we'd see that he's called in he's got to now defeat Goliath the king is chasing him and he's running for his life he leaves his home he's li living in the land of the Philistines he's discouraged he's empty he has nothing left if you'll just look at that part of David's life you would say what good could come out of David's life. I want you to know what good came out of David's life that through his line and his lineage was going to come a savior that was going to redeem mankind back to God because of the cross. I'm saying to you this, that God's always working in our life for good and good always is about the gospel. And it's not different for you and it's not different for me. What God is doing in your life, he's doing for his purpose. And his purpose is so that the world hears that he loves them and that his son has come to die for their sins. You say, you mean that God is using my trial for his good? Yes, if you let him. God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. So you know what he does? He chooses to use you to show a world that he loves them. And listen to me, friend, that's why in our issues and in our trials, in our burdens, if we're not careful, we get so caught up in the burden. We get so caught up in the trial. We get so caught up in the moment because we can't see, we can't read, we can't go to a book that tells us the end of our life. We can't see how this is going to unfold. But I want you to know this, that God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And he uses all of these things so that through your life, the world could see that he loves them. 
He's not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. I love that verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why did the Christmas story happen? Why do we read from Matthew chapter one and Luke chapter two? Why did all the world get taxed? Because God needed uh, to get the, uh, um, uh, Joseph from, from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. So you know what he used? He used something that didn't look good. Joseph says, I can't believe, I can't believe that right now, I've got to be taxed. But you know what God uses? That thing that didn't look good, he used it for good. Why? Because scripture had to be fulfilled. There was going to come out of Bethlehem, out of the line and lineage of David, there's going to come a savior because God cares so much about you. He wants to redeem you back to himself. God's using those that love him to work out his purpose. The Bible says that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Those that love God, God is wanting to use to fulfill his purpose. Do you know what your story is? Your story is God's purpose to show others salvation. What we need to do in times of grief, what we need to do in times of trial, we need to stop and get our eyes and our focus back on God. When trials come and difficulties come, instead of looking at that problem and trying to figure out this problem, we need to look at God and say, God, what purpose are you wanting to accomplish? I want to be yielded because my best doesn't even compare to your good. Our lives are lived so that God reveals his purpose through us. Over the next couple weeks, up until Christmas, I want to look at scripture and I want to connect. Sometimes we take the Christmas story and we just look at it like it's Christmas time. We study the Christmas story. But you know what I found in studying and preparing over these next couple of weeks? You know what I find? That the Christmas story, it connects to everything else in the word of God. It connects to the garden in Genesis chapter three because there was a promise that God was going to send a savior. A sacrifice was going to come. It connects the revelation that there's going to be a king that is going to rule and reign. There's going to be a new Jerusalem and Jesus is going to sit as king of kings and Lord of lords. And every chapter and every verse throughout all the Bible all points to this story, this story of God loving mankind and sending his son to redeem mankind. And God is going to use your life that sometimes you don't see as good if you'll let him, he'll use that to accomplish his purpose. And I want to encourage you this Christmas season to get your mind off your trials, get your mind off the bad, get the mind off of the burden and let your mind and eyes and heart be focused upon God and saying, God, whatever you want to do with my life, I'm yielded to you. Take this and make it good. And in God making it good, he is going to reveal the gospel through your life. He's going to show others around you that he loves them. He's going to show others around you that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save them so that they don't have to spend an eternity separated from God. The Bible says this, that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose, what God is doing in your life today, he's going to make good. 
But church, he decides what good is, not you and I. Let's let him be God today, shall we?